but it's not just a story affecting the entertainment industry. It's one that transcends any culture, geography, race, religion, politics, or workplace. For too long, women have not been heard or believed if they dared to speak their truth to the power of those men. But their time is up. Last October, the New York Times broke a story that would irrevocably shift our culture. Dozens of women accused media heavyweight Harvey Weinstein of sexual assault going back decades and told us how their stories had been covered up, bribed away, or smothered in non-disclosure agreements. But no longer. The allegations against Weinstein resulted in his firing from his own company, and to date more than 80 women have accused Weinstein of sexual assault or rape. That was the epicentre of a ripple that went right through Hollywood and beyond, where women and men began speaking out against powerful men they'd kept silent about for years. Here in New Zealand, we're having our own reckoning, starting with newsrooms' exposure of how law firm Russell McVeigh staff sexually harassed young female interns. Only a few weeks later, broadcaster and journalist Alison Moore announced on Twitter and Facebook she'd be running a national investigation into workplace sexual harassment across Aotearoa, which she's called hashtag MeTooNZ. And from tonight, you can have a voice. You can contact me directly via direct message on Twitter, by private message on this very Facebook page, or by a dedicated phone line or by email. This is Exposure, and I'm your host, Sapir Mayron. Over four weeks, we'll take a look at the almost instant backlash that Alison's investigation sparked, from absolute outrage to standing ovations, cartoons, opinion pieces, and more. Together with expert guests, we'll try and unpack some of that backlash, where it comes from, what it means, and what it might mean for the future of Me Too NZ. This week, Alison joined us to share her thoughts on that backlash. Do you think that this is one of the most transparent a media organisation has been about the investigation process and perhaps audiences are just a bit confused and a bit surprised they've never been exposed to exactly how these investigations happen before? Yes, I do. I think there is not much transparency out there as to how uh, journalistic investigations carry on because most of the time it has to be in the background an investigation by its nature is generally into something that that some people don't want out there. That's the nature of journalism, you know, speaking truth to power. So the fact that we launched this on social media, um, asking people to come forward, that's a little bit unusual. I mean, we did that because the power of social media is so massive these days that um, we knew that it would reach the widest number of people. So, yeah, I think that's a little bit of a peek behind the curtain of how we work, but it certainly doesn't change the actual work. 
For example, as Mark Stephen explained, people seem to be saying that, oh my God, they've set up a tip line and therefore they're going to name and shame people on the basis of the anonymous complaints that come in, which is ignoring all the journalism that has to take place in between the tip and the publication of the story. We're now three weeks down the track since we launched and we haven't published anything and there's good reason for that. It's because of all the journalism that has to take place to stack the stories up in between. I mean, we're all let out, but it takes time to make sure that these stories are investigated properly. And that's actually what people are asking for, isn't it? I'm, you know, I'm trying not to take it personally, um, the criticism. I think there are a lot of people who still think of me perhaps as a television newsreader and haven't paid much attention in the past few years to what I've been doing. But I'm absolutely at peace with that. If, um, you know, if they've done their research, they'd know better. So uh, I don't really take that sort of stuff seriously. Journalism is one of these fields where you have to really have faith in yourself, right? Otherwise, all of that kind of outside stuff will seep in. Oh, yes. You have to have a very thick skin. And that's why I think that we haven't heard much from... Well, that's one of the reasons I think we haven't heard much on um, hashtag MeToo from the media industry yet. Um, because we've all worked in newsrooms where we've kind of been expected to be tough and the kind of behaviour that might be absolutely unacceptable elsewhere is the norm. But then again, I'm finding through the people that are contacting me, and there's more than 300 now, that um, it's the norm everywhere, particularly in male-dominated industries. So engineering, law, obviously, accounting, medicine, education, hospitality, all of those industries appear to have problems. Do you feel like this investigation is going to leave a long-lasting mark on New Zealand's social history? Are we going to see a, a hashtag MeTooNZ exhibit in Te Papa in 10 years? I, I, it's a little early for me to make a judgment on that. I'm not quite sure how I feel. I know that one of the reasons why I did it in the end is because I was worried that New Zealand women were going to miss out on this window of opportunity that had opened up worldwide. And I thought that was unfair. So... I do recognise as a journalist of 30 years' experience that this is going to be, I think, the story of 2018. And I hope and pray that it has a lasting impact down the decades. Not in the sense that I'd like to see it into Papa, but in the sense that I would like to see a massive overhaul um, in the way organisations and corporations deal with sexual harassment. And I mean an overhaul in sexual harassment policy and training, which at the moment is not focused on victims. It's focused on protecting the corporation or organisation, and that absolutely needs to change. So if I was to have a legacy for this project, that would be it. And yes, I'm going for structural change here. I'm not going for clicks. I don't just want people's stories. Um, I make that quite clear to everybody I talk to is that what I am hoping that your story will be part of change. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, as you can, I'm quite passionate about this topic, as you can hear. (laughs) 
It's interesting, isn't it? Because I've had a, a bit of, along with the you're not qualified, uh, along with the there's no problem here, so why are you doing this, um, along with all the other um, quite gendered criticism of this project that I've had, criticism that ignores the fact that these kind of investigations go on all the time, so why is this one different? Alongside that, I've also had criticism that I'm just trying to kind of build up some sort of notoriety. Believe me, if it was fame and notoriety I wanted, I would go on Dancing with the Stars. I wouldn't do this. Yeah, there are easier ways, huh? <laughs> there are much easier ways. Have you started thinking about how you'd like to present it to the public? Are we looking at a series of long-form articles or something more interactive maybe? Um, there will be the opportunity for all of those things. Those very brave people who are happy to tell their story on camera um, I'll be sitting down with for an interview and yeah, the, and the rest of it will be carried on stuff and some of them will be very high-profile stories. It's overwhelming to think that the status quo here in New Zealand is shifting quite rapidly. I hope so. I think that forms part of the, the kickback that we've had. Some of the criticism is through is because of fear. And I don't mean the individual person who's written the um, the column criticising us is afraid that we're coming for them. I mean a much more deep buried fear that things will change. You know, when David Letterman interviewed uh, Barack Obama recently on his brand new chat show, recently said, nothing right in the world occurs without a fight. And Obama said, or at least some discomfort, because somebody is benefiting from the status quo. And I think that that is what we've seen with some of the criticism of this process, is that deep, deep down, there are people who understand at a really gut core level that their way of behaving may well be turned over, you know, and most people, some people are quite comfortable with the status quo and they don't want to see it upended. Well, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard thing, I think, even even to some extent, the status quo changing for the people who don't benefit from it is quite scary. There's like a whole new world opening up of how I can expect to be allowed to behave in the workplace. I can say no, that's totally inappropriate and go away without too much fear in a way that maybe 10 years ago I wouldn't have been able to. Yes, and that is, you know, that, that can be scary actually. A lot of the, um, a lot of the major voices in uh, the Me Too movement overseas, a lot of the uh, journalists who've been integral to the whole, you know, to some of the really, really big stories have admitted exactly the same thing. This feels huge right now this feels a little bit out of control and a little bit frightening but it has to happen and nobody knows at this stage where it's going to end up we can only follow our process as journalists as rigorously as we would any other article or investigation but it does feel very new doesn't it but this is the first time the window has opened this is the first time that women 
have felt like they're being heard and believed. The first time. Next week on Exposure, we'll talk to victims advocate Ruth Money, who works to help people through the justice system without victimising them all over again. Together, we'll try to understand journalistic investigations from the victim's perspective. You can keep up with our journey on Facebook at ExposureCast and SoundCloud, or subscribe on Stitcher, Podcast Addict, or Podit, and don't miss a moment. Exposure's logo is photography by Brittany Cosgrove of Nope Sisters, and our backing music is by Ingrid Saker. See you next week.